Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, the wonderful thing it is to gather and pray please uh, for all kinds of reasons that you would minimise the impact of this virus. Uh, please that, um, Lord, you might make it possible for health and safety to come to our community, that the gospel may flourish amongst us and that you might enable churches to be able to gather. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity today but pray for much, much more of it, that things would ease uh, safely, we pray, for your glory and our good. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you about clarity. I want to talk to you about how to think about life, but think about life with clarity. I think clarity is one of the most important things you can have in life, uh, making sense of what life is about and where you're going. In fact, uh, there was a, this is a kind of thing for business people. There was a, uh, a thing by a man called, I think his name's Covey, Covey. Uh, he, he would often get business people in to do seminars on making the most of their business life, uh, getting the most out of their life and so on. And uh, he would use this illustration, I think we've talked about it before, but gee, it's a good one. It's, he would put on the table in front of this crowd of business people who were all high performers and wanting to get life to work and so on and so forth, and a big glass, so see-through, big glass jar of that kind of scale. And he'd, he'd put a bunch of rocks in it, fill it with rocks, and, uh, and say, is it full? And they go, no, of course not. And so he'd get a bucket of gravel and tip the gravel in and shake it all down and the gravel all falls down in amongst all the cracks of the, the rocks. He says, is it full now? And they say, of course not. No, you can fit more than that. So he'd get a bucket of sand and tips the sand in the sand, breaks down through the gravel and the rocks and falls in amongst right to the bottom, right up to the top. Is it full now? And some people go, yeah. And he says, no, it's not quite full yet. He gets a bucket of water. Tips the water and the water fills the gaps between all the right up. Is it full? And they go, yes. And he says, what's the moral of the story? What's the lesson? And here's what most people say. The lesson is, just when you think life is busy and full, you can always fit more in. There's business people talk, right? Not Central Coast people, business people talk. And he says this, no, no, that's not the point of the message. That's not the point of the, the illustration. The illustration's all about... If you don't put the rocks in first, you'll never get them in. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I made it up. It, uh, if you don't put the rocks in first, you'll never get them in. Exactly right. If you let all the little things of life fill your life up and don't find out what the big things of life are and put them in first, you'll never get them in. You'll have lived your life without the big things in place and you'll end your days realising you wasted it. Unless you... You know, no one on their deathbed wants to own the fact my life's been a waste and so they reorientate the way they thought things were and what really mattered most and they don't think about the rocks because that's depressing. But here's the deal. If you don't work out what the big things in life are and fit them in, you won't have a life that makes the most sense. It won't, it won't be aligned. It won't, there won't be clarity about what you're doing. You won't connect with what really matters most. So here's the deal this morning. What are the rocks? What are the rocks of life? What are the really big things that matter most? How to be clear about those big things? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about. And I want to do it by... There's a, how, how do you do this? A number of ways. The key thing, of course, is to go to a place where God speaks. If you could know somewhere where the God of the universe told you what the big things are, wouldn't you go there? It's the Bible. So we're going to go to the Bible. And here's what I want to do. Over the years, in my mind, there's, there's five things the Bible teaches us 
that add together to show you what the rocks are. Does that make sense? There are five things the Bible teaches us that when you, when you understand each of those five things and put them all together, you can work out what the rocks are. Actually, what the rock is. So I'm going to take you through those five things. This really, this morning's a five-point sermon. But we'll go fairly quickly, so don't freak out. Um, you're in safe hands. <laughs> we'll finish it sometime. Uh, but let me give you the first one. What, what are the, what are the five, what's the first of the five things that gives you this clarity, that helps you know what the rocks of life are? Well, I'll tell you what the first one is. The reality of heaven and hell. The reality of heaven and hell. You want to know what really matters in life. You want to know how to get clarity in life. Lift your eyes from our current context and look ahead. Look into the distance. Look up and see the realities of heaven and hell. Now, there's lots of ways to come to terms with this, but for me, the most compelling way is to follow the life of Jesus. Come with me to Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Matthew, uh, we've, we've just done Matthew recently and so this might be hopefully a little bit of a uh, kind of a refresher for many of you who are with us during that time. But um, <clears throat> as you go through Jesus' life, and, and I think this is, this is where this comes to me, as I see Jesus in action, as I see him speaking, as I see what he does, it brings home the reality of heaven and hell. You look there with me uh, at chapter 7, I mean we could do it from a bunch of places but for time, let's just pick up uh, four or five of these on the way through. Have a look at chapter 7 um, and look there at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now you think with me. So, so enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. What's he talking about? hell and he's saying there are many on that path but enter through the narrow gate because it's only the narrow gate small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find that now straight away this is in the sermon on the mount this is the very first major chunk of teaching jesus gave and what's in his mind what is he thinking about what is he concerned about i'll tell you what he's concerned about future reality Something that's not here yet, but is coming. The reality of judgment and blessing. Heaven, heaven and hell. Some, he says, many will face eternal condemnation. Some will be ushered into life. Few, not all. There'll be a division. And he says to the crowd, make sure you enter through the narrow gate where that is the only path to life. Now, if he, he, of course, will be the narrow gate. It's him. Come with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who would have thought to say that except the Lord Jesus? Don't be afraid of someone who can just take your physical life. I tell you the one you should be terrified of, says Jesus, is the one who can not only take your physical life, but cast your soul into hell. Eternal judgment. 
Now, who is that one? Who is the one who has the power to condemn uh, righteously someone to hell? It's, it's God himself. That's the one to be afraid of, to be deeply concerned about. Again, he's thinking about eternal realities, future realities, things that are in our future, perhaps in the past or many at the present, of course, but for us, still in the future. Have a look at verse 39 of the same chapter. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Gaining life, if you just live in this life as if this life is it and you find your own life here and enjoy it and so on, you'll lose it forever. Eternal realities. Have a look, come over to chapter 16. Flip right over to chapter 16. Verse 25 repeats the idea, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for you to someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What good is it to gain the... I remember, I remember hearing these words when I was 17 or something, and it just it profoundly cut through, finally. What, in light of eternity... And, and the reality of heaven and hell, what does it matter what I gain here in comparison to those realities? You come across to chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 8. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. What makes someone talk like this? That they're captivated by eternal realities. It's better to lose a limb now and be living life limbless with all the struggles that brings than find yourself whole and in hell. Because one is so deeply, deeply serious. His concern constantly is this future reality, heaven and hell. It's so massive and so serious to Jesus that it just percolated through all of his teaching. It brought clarity to the things he, he said. What matters most? What are the rocks of life? We looked at chapter 24 and 25 a couple of weeks ago, or some months ago, I guess, no, but 20, which is dedicated to this whole teaching about his return and the judgment that will come and the seriousness of that. You know, there are monumental realities in our future, massive realities in our future. One of the things about growing up, one of the things about maturing as an adult is you move from living for today and you start thinking about the future and how that impacts today. I remember years, I don't, I don't watch Homer Simpson, I haven't watched Homer Simpson for years. We, we tried to stop our kids watching it until I realised it was actually quite educational and helpful. But uh, we, there was an episode of Homer Simpson where he was, um, he was given a deal, I think it was a chocolate bar vending machine, and a candy bar thing, an American thing, and, and it said, um, you, you know, you can, have, uh, you can have one chocolate bar now or a thousand tomorrow. Which do you want? And Homer went... One now, a thousand tomorrow. One now, it was, a, it was a genuine challenge. And he went, which one did he go with? One now. And it's usually funny. Why? Because it's so perverse and so immature and so in character with who Homer is and so childish. It, it, maturity is realising 
when the future is understood properly, that shapes today. And I will let go of things today for the sake of gaining a future. And this is Jesus' teaching. It brings clarity about what you do with your life, how you spend your life. As when you see that there is a future and the consequences of, of heaven and hell are so massive, it has enormous implications for life now. You know, you can live the most miserable life now, faithful to Christ. You can lose everything in your life and stay faithful to Christ and you've got it all. You will have never lost. You can live the most wonderful, fulfilling, rewarding, rich life now without Christ and you will lose everything. What good is it to gain the whole world, says Jesus, and forfeit your soul? Clarity. The better you understand the realities of heaven and hell, it becomes very clear that one thing matters. There's one big thing that matters in life, and that is getting right with God. Being right with God. Trusting in your Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, for all your days, no matter what it costs you. Jesus speaks about this at every turn. Get it right. And I would say if you're here today or listening in and you've you've not found this Jesus and life in him I urge you to listen to the words of Jesus and come and find life it matters more than anything in your life and understanding heaven and hell should bring clarity about what you invest in what you give to how you spend your life what you pray about what you care about the things we ought to give ourselves to as first of importance, that others come to faith in Christ. This, is, this concern for mission and evangelism is not a strange thing that EV does amongst all the churches. It's not, this, is not a, this is not a weird thing that we particularly have. This flows out of the very heart of the reality of heaven and hell. There's the first one. When you have clarity about the reality of heaven and hell, it brings clarity into life for myself and what matters and how I live it. Let me give you the second thing. When you see that Jesus, who saw the realities of heaven and hell so vividly, lived his life going towards the cross, that gives clarity. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus relentlessly headed towards the cross, his own crucifixion his own certain death in Jerusalem. Now, he died in his 30s. It depends when you date the cross, of course, what age he was. But he died in his 30s. He never married. He never travelled, unless you count North Galilee to Jerusalem. But he never travelled. He never went overseas. Um, he, he never had a career. He never had a family. Um, he never had a sports success. He didn't any, do any of these things. He never had a bucket list that he wanted to fulfill before he died. He went to the cross and gave up his life as a young man. Why? To give his life as a ransom for many, he tells us, Matthew chapter, chapter 16. Um, to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. To give his life as a ransom to save people from hell because the reality of it was so vivid for him it loomed so large for him 
that he gave his life to reconcile people to his father. You know, we, um, Kathy and I watched, well, we haven't for a while, but we used to watch that show called Grand Designs. Grand Designs. And um, I, I, um, I did engineering as a young man, and I was a frustrated architect, so I enjoy the whole architecture thing, which also has some engineering in it. And um, but, so we enjoy this show, and I, many of you do too, particularly the, the, the English one, not the Australian one as much. But um, we watched this show. There was one episode where um, a man uh, had lived with his family on a kind of a fairly... Um, you know, broken down, somewhat house, a modest house on the edge of a on the edge of the ocean, right on a cliff face, right on in front of the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and um, and he had dreams of building a bigger house, and uh, two girls, married wife and so on, and uh, they planned this massive house that they were going to build, uh, and then began to work towards it. And you know, the show followed all the episode and part of the life that he went through and what have you. They, there was we watched him battle with approvals. Um, you know, finance, um, where does he get the loan, how does the bank provide the money, the structural problems, the neighbours, the town, we watched him go through all of these problems. He wanted a massive lighthouse at one end of the thick, you know, it wasn't just a house, it was a massive thing. Does anyone remember that one with the lighthouse? Anyway, yeah, some of you do. He, uh, at the end of the show, it cost him millions of dollars, right? And it was an incredibly complex process, uh, lots of stress. At the end of the show, he was interviewed. And the house is not finished. It's sort of 60%, 70% finished. He's got no money, but he's assured, he's assured all of us he's determined to finish it. Now, the compere says to him, you're here alone. Is that indicative of something? Is that telling us something? And he said, yes. The stress got too much for our marriage. My wife has left me. All right? This cost you your wife? Yes he says. Now, there is a man who has a deeply important priority in his life that matters so much to him, he's prepared to lose everything over it. Now, to be interested to dig into what actually is driving him so much that he's prepared to lose his marriage over it. I dare say it was his own pride and ego and what have you. Now, that is a negative illustration of how a goal can matter so much to you, you're prepared to lose everything for it. And the goal that he gave everything up for was petty. Petty. But think about the cross of Jesus. The terrible price that he paid to die on a cross. The terrible sacrifice. How much God the Father paid in giving the life of his only Son on the cross. You get a sense of the co cost when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, the night before he dies, is in the garden and Luke reports that sweat like drops of blood fell from his brow. He was in anguish and take this cup from me. This is the one who had been determined to go the path of the cross, horrified, terrified at the moment of having to pay the price. Now, this was no momentary whim, the sacrifice that Jesus paid to die on the cross. It was no momentary whim of the Father who sent his Son to die on the cross. But here's the question to ask. Something clearly mattered a great deal to God that he would pay such a price. Here's the question. What was it? What mattered so much to God that he was prepared to, pay, that he was prepared to lose his Son's life over it? I think there's two pieces to that answer. But the first one is this. What mattered so much? 
us, you and me, that we be saved from hell, that we be reconciled to the God the Father. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And the second piece is the glory of God himself, who is determined to be a God of love, but more in a moment. Now that brings clarity. It shows you what matters most to the God of the universe. How important it must be to see people saved that God, God paid such a price. How important is the love of God to God, that he is true to himself, loving and glorified in being a forgiving God? How important are these things to him? You know, when there are such massive things in the universe that matter so much to God, that he is prepared to pay such a price in such a task to redeem the world, to live our lives filling it with holidays is petty. To live our lives filled with our career or with renovations or being consumed with the garden or being consumed with nothing, just drifting. In light of massive things that are about in our universe where God pays such a price because heaven and hell are so real. You know, the cross... So the first one, the reality of heaven and hell. The second one is looking at the cross. The cross brings clarity to, to, to life, what matters most, what God is prepared to pay. And I'll tell you what it also does. It brings clarity to every other good deed. Let me explain. What I, come with me to Mark chapter 1. I'll show you what I mean here. This is worth looking at because it's, um, well, all of it's worth looking at. Uh, if you look down there in verse uh, 32, that evening after sunset, people brought Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many diseases. He healed. He healed everybody. Every sick person who came, bang, healed. Verse 35, he went off then, uh, while it was still dark, to pray. Went off to a solitary place. Verse 36, his companions came looking for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for him. Now, why do you think everyone's looking for him? Because this man actually heals people. Whoever's sick in the ancient world, you don't have, a, you don't have the medical system. If you're sick you, and you find a guy who can heal you, everyone's there. But look what he does, verse 38. Let's go somewhere else. To the nearby village so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Do you see what he's just done? He has left a crowd of sick people. He's left a crowd who wanted to be healed. He's left, he's walked away to preach the gospel because that's why he came. You know, um, uh, there is a priority that's evidenced here. Add it to the cross. Jesus dies in his 30s on a cross. If he'd stayed until he was 80, think of the good he could have done. The healing, the, the... Writing of injustices, the fixing of every problem. He could have stayed till he was 80 doing much, much good, but he dies in his 30s. Why? Because sickness, injustice, um, uh, inequality, 
These things are symptoms of something deeper and bigger. And until you deal with a symptom, you'll never deal with those. Do you know the doctor who deals with, um, correct me later if I miss something, but the doctor who deals with cancer, there, there, there are likely with some cancers many symptoms that emerge. But the doctor who just spends all their time working on the symptoms and never actually diagnoses the cause and goes to the treatment that fixes the cause is a doctor without compassion, is a foolish doctor. The Lord God sends his son to the cross and says no to all of those other immediate symptom needs because the key to fixing all of that is the cross, is reconciliation back to God, creation of a new universe where they'll all be gone because of reconciliation with himself. Now, the loving doctor doesn't only deal with the, the, uh, the cause. The loving doctor also cares about the symptoms as they're able with what resources they have. Um, it doesn't need to be an either-or. But we are living in a cause-driven culture, which is interesting, isn't it, last 10 years? People are right into causes and justice and so on. There's something quite wonderful, but naive and potentially rebellious. <laughs> the naivety, of course, is imagining we have got the solutions. But I'll tell you what, I want to applaud people who are trying to do some good and you want to do as much good as you can where you are. But the cross gives the final answer, the larger answer, the salvation of men and women in preparation for a new creation. Reconciliation to God is the chief issue. The cross tells you that. Heaven and hell. When you look at the cross, you get clarity about what matters most in life. Let me give you the third one. God's vision. God's vision. You know, we're not left trying to work out what matters most to God. The cross tells you what matters most to God, reconciliation of men and women back to himself uh, to be prepared for a new creation. But you don't have to guess that. God actually tells us what matters most. Chase it up later for time. We haven't got time to go. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. God says to us, here's what I'm about. Here's what matters most. It's bringing people united back into Christ. It's uniting everything in Jesus. It's summing up everything in Jesus. It's reconciling people back to Jesus. That's what God cares most about. And by the time you come to chapter 4, we'll look at this next week, by the time you come to chapter 4, what matters most is that people are reconciled to God and matured into the full measure of who Jesus is. Which, if I might just cast it for us, what God cares about is saving people from sin fully. Saving people from the penalty of sin, hell, and saving people from the power of sin, godliness. He wants us to have full salvation. Salvation from the penalty and judgment of sin and salvation from the consequences of sin in our life. That's what matters most. God tells us this in his vision statements, if you like. There's the third one. See, first, the reality of heaven and hell. The, 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 the nature of the cross itself gives you clarity about what matters most. And God's express vision statements about what matters most. Let me give you the fourth one. Love. When you understand love, it brings clarity. You see, all of this is the cross. God's vision is driven by love. How can you look on the reality of heaven and hell, 
the holiness of God and his righteous judgments upon sinners and not be touched by the massive need around us. 3% of Australians, 3% of Australians have genuine faith in Jesus, are on the narrow road. 3%. 97% are going to hell, which is real. How can you see that and not be touched? It, it, it can only be that our heart of love is somehow corrupted, is somehow not as, not as attuned as it ought to be, that we get moved by puppy stories. We get moved by animals who get caught in an ice flow and get lost, and we're teary about that. But around us, 97% of the Central Coast is going to hell and we don't even notice it. Now, partly the problem is the problem of the eye, actually. Part of the problem is, is that one I can see with my eye and the other one's only an idea I've heard about. That's part of our challenge. The problem with being a visual society is that it's impossible, actually, to give me a visual of the spiritual reality of a human. But I tell you, if you had the eyes to see what was in the human soul and what was awaiting that human soul, I, I, I trust under God we'd have the softness of heart to be aroused to immense compassion and love and desperately want to preach the gospel. See, love, a person of love, a person of true love, who, who finally does see the lostness of the world around us, their future state, the future state of our friends and family, the offence that sin is to the glory of God, and not want to do something, is not a person of love. But that's our God, a God of love, who so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is a, a quote from many, many years ago, centuries ago, actually. Uh, um, it's from a book called Reform Pastor, and um, it's a longish quote, but I, it, it, and he's speaking to ministers, he's speaking to people like me, and I feel it very intently, but it applies to all of us. So can you bear with old English? Listen to this quote, settle in, it's a longish one. Oh, sirs, surely if you had all conversed with neighbour death as often as I have done, and often received the sentence in yourselves, you would have an unquiet conscience, if not a reformed life, as to your ministerial diligence and faithfulness. And you would have something in you that would frequently ask you such questions as these. Is this all thy compassion for lost sinners? Will you do no more to seek and save them? Shall they die and be in hell before thou wilt speak to them one serious word to prevent it? Shall they there curse thee forever that thou didst no more in time to save them? Such cries of conscience are daily ring in my ears. Though the Lord know, I have too little obeyed them. How can you choose when you are laying a corpse in the grave? But to think within yourselves, he lieth the body, but where is the soul? And what have I done for it before it departed? It was part of my charge, what account can I give of it? 
Oh, sirs, it is a small thing to answer such questions as these now. It may seem so, but the hour is coming when it not, will, won't, won't seem so small. And I think he means when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Brothers and sisters, love. love. Heaven and hell, the reality of it. The cross of Christ. God's vision expressed to us with such clarity. A heart of love must be captured by these things. Let me give you the last one, which brings clarity, which shows you what are the big rocks of life. The brevity of life. Brevity of life. Um, you know, just last week, I was 25 years old. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> and look at me now. Man, I'm 35 and I look like I'm much older. But, uh, oh, wow, where has time gone? Church has been going 24 years, hasn't it? We started in 1996. And uh, it's lovely to see Wallen here. I mean, you, you guys have been with us for a lot of that journey. And I see so many of you who are with us for so many years. And um, The years have gone so quickly. Though I must confess, as I think about each year, each year was very long. <laughs> but here I am. Uh, look, in 20 years' time, you know, I'll, I'll be almost 60. Um, <laughs> in 20 years' time, I'll be um, almost 80. Almost 80. Um, life will be gone. It'll be over. I won't get it back again. I only get one life. And it's here so quickly and gone so quickly. What am I going to fill my days with? What am I going to fill my life with? What am I going to do with my life? One life. When I understand the reality of heaven and hell, what God was prepared to pay in the cross of Christ, what mattered so much to him, when I understand his vision expressed to us that the whole creation is designed to bring everything under Christ, when I see what it means to be a person of love, what am I going to give my life to? Winning as many people to Christ as I can. Doing what I can with my prayers, my time, my energy, my, my resources financially. Um, using everything in my power to bring as many people to faith in Christ and maturity in Christ. They're the big rocks. I don't have a bucket list. I, I, um, well, wh what matters about wh whether I... I, I don't... I pray God I don't care more about bucket lists as I grow older. I know I'm weak. But that's, you know, listen, I read just recently uh, a quote from a soccer player, captain of Australia, a man called Craig Foster. Some of you are into that game called soccer, aren't you? Football, right? Um, he, uh, Craig Foster was, uh, am I right, one of the great soccer players? Yeah, good, good. I'm looking at people who know these things. Um, <laughs> did retiring, he was asked, did retiring from either the Socceroos, so the Australian soccer team, or SBS, because he ended up a commentator on SBS, feel like death to you? And, and Craig Foster says this, Once I was on the wrong side of 30, my legs were starting to betray me after multiple operations. I'd restructured both at knees at the age of 15. Three broken binds in my feet and a broke... I knew that it was only a matter of time. Broadcasting wasn't the plan, but it became the natural next step. Then life post-SBS occurred via my human rights activism. So he gave himself to human rights activism, where I really came upon the concept of death and mortality. What do you mean? 
<laughs> what do you mean? You should know what I mean. But he, When I hit 50, he said, I didn't expect to be confronted by this concept of being in the second half of your life. The second half, sorry, Craig, but the second half of your life, you don't live to 100. What's the second half of your life? It's the age of 40, just to depress you a little more. But I, I, came, I didn't expect to be confronted by this concept of being in the second half of my life. You assess your impact and what you've contributed. I increasingly questioned, listen to this, I increasingly questioned the value of a sporting career that I had. What does it mean to play 29 times for Australia? Who does it benefit? Wow. That's an Australian saying sport may not benefit. Wow. And he, he's thinking like that because of the reality of death. He says the real power in a sporting career is the platform it gives you to do something else. Wisdom. But I tell you what, he needs Jesus. Because <laughs> he's gone into social action, which is beautiful and wonderful. But when you understand the reality of heaven and hell, when you understand the cross of Christ, what God paid, how much it mattered to him to save people from hell, when you understand the vision that he has for the universe around us to bring all things into Christ, when you understand love, you have a heart of love, and you see how brief your life is, there's something more important than even, as good as it is, social activism. You know, we are blessed to be in this together. Um, here we are as a church gathered, and it's beautiful and wonderful, pray it grows. But last week I talked to you about what church is. What is church? It's, it's an assembly, it's the gathering, the physical gathering of God's people. The physical gathering of God's people to hear Him speak His word to us, that we might learn to revere Him and be stirred, you remember Hebrews chapter 10, be stirred to love and good deeds, be stir, stir each other up to live differently when we walk out this door. To learn to serve Him, to learn to know what pleases Him, to learn how to live how we ought to live out there in the world. And how you ought to live out there in the world is by love. You ought to live a life of love, doing whatever you can. I had a, <laughs> I, my next door neighbour is on her own and, and I had a great opportunity just to mow her lawn. Now, that is, I'm ashamed to say that's the first time I've done it. But that's, that, there's just opportunities to, to love and care. But you think about church... Because this is the heart of it. This is the heart of God's work in the world. From the beginning, 24 years ago, 20 people in a lounge room. That was it. We came together to hear God speak, to gain clarity, to see Him clearly, to see what He was about, that we might learn to know what matters, what are the big rocks in life and what are they? Saving people and maturing people. There it is, the big rocks. Saving people from hell, bringing them into a relationship with God, saving them from a life of sin, that they might grow to be like Christ, free from the power of sin in their lives. That's it. A lot has changed, but that has never changed. And pray God it never does. Everything we've done has been shaped by that big thing, make disciples. Gain people to faith, grow them in the faith. This building, it's just a building. But praise God, we've got it. Imagine if we were trying to do all of this back in Erin High School Hall. 
Imagine if we were trying to run the youth ministry we run. Back in, imagine if we were doing the women's work, the men's work. The, imagine if we were trying to do anything. We, we, now, God's a God of miracles, but it's hard to see how we could ever have reached as many people as we've reached. Except that we've been given these facilities. Praise God for them. The COVID clinic. What a great, you know, when, when all of that came forward, church council was immediately of the view that we need to work out safety issues and so on. But, but if a church can't embrace this clinic, we're not worthy of being called followers of Christ. Do you see? But to have a facility that we could use for the cause of the coast, do you see, has been a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, most days of the week, this place is full of people. Mostly in the mornings, the afternoon it goes quiet, everyone goes home and has a sleep. But most of the mornings it's full, most evenings it's full, it's hard to get spaces. I've got a meeting in two weeks' time with someone who's trying to be arranged and we can't find a space here. Now I'm not complaining, I'm just saying how wonderful. It's used all the time. We've been using it to bless people beyond us with conferences for ministry teams and so on. Um, but the building is nothing, it's the place to house the vision that God has given us. A vision that emerges from those five things. The reality of heaven and hell the cross of Christ, God's vision declared to us, love and the brevity of life. The more you see those things, the clearer it is, the big rocks of life. So my question to you this morning is, what are you about in your own life? What are you doing with your life? Don't waste it. And it's never too late to turn it around. Come to faith in Christ. And give your resources for the cause of Christ. And one of the big things we need to keep working on is this building. That it continues to house the work for years, decades. I keep thinking 70 years. After 70 years, it's someone else's problem. Actually, after 30 years, it's probably someone else's problem, isn't it? But pray God he keeps using this facility for good with a clarity about what matters most. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we do ask, please, that you would give us clarity, that you would help us understand what are the big things of life and that you would help us fill our lives, put those things in first. Do not ignore the other things, but help us put those big things in, please. Help us be shaped by these great truths, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.